it's over 9,000! Welcome, super late warriors, to Final Forum, a podcast for the discussion of all things Dragon Ball. As we continue to scrape the desolate landscape left in ruin after the battle when last the show was broadcast, looking for any signs of your co-hosts, please enjoy a recording salvaged from a scouter found among the debris. Right? Incredible. What? You've come up with a starting point for a unified string theory in the time it's taken us to descend this staircase, and all you can think of is whether such mastery of the entirety of the laws of physics would allow you to change your outfit colors on command. I like to dress based on mood. And since I never know what mood I'm going to be in, I have to travel with a whole coterie of outfits. But you always just wear Frieza Force armor. Yeah, but I changed the accent co colors, haven't you noticed? No. You know... We're here on our way, descending a staircase to go outside and fight off the remains of the Carbivore invasion, and you're breaking my heart. Why are you recapping what we're doing like I don't know? You can't be not on for a minute, can you? I'm not trying to be on. I'm just trying to make sure we're on the same page here. We almost never are. Almost being the key word. Maybe this time we could have been. No, we couldn't. Oh well, yeah, I guess you're right. Because that's our whole shtick, right? This playful banter back and forth we have is what's entertaining to people. We can't help it. We're drawn to it. Almost as if scripted. In fact, scripted. We are inexorably, inevitably pushed towards this odd couple pairing that makes it seem like we have nothing but contempt for one another, but we actually have a deepening bond, and dare I say, love that will define us for generations, through decades, even as our children become grown and we provide no further utility to our society. What? No. We print our scripts on different sized paper. So once we get this far into our banter, we're literally on different pages. You know, I really hope we both die soon. Maybe at each other's hands. Like if you get mind controlled by an evil being and tricked into fighting me and you unlock new potential you never knew you had, and we have this battle that's epic and an epic battle of wills that culminates in mutual self-destruction? Like, like that? If it ends this conversation, yes. I hope for that. Oh, okay. Well, let's hope that doesn't happen. But in the meantime, let's talk about some Dragon Ball stuff. Is this an episode of the podcast? No. Well, yes, but no. What the hell does that mean? Well, 
You know how Lilo and Stitch 2 was the fourth entry in that franchise, and it was set between the events of the original film and the events of Stitch, the movie? I mean, I know that now. Well, this is like that. You're intentionally recording something before another episode because I'm confused. Because we're doing an in-between quote. <sighs> That's the spirit. Yes, we're doing a an in-between quote. <laughs> we're <laughs> we're totally recording this before the upcoming events of our finale that we don't know what's going to happen at all to talk about episodes 44 and 45 of the anime which are one of them's called Master Thief Haskey and the other one is Danger from Above I believe and it depends it depends I've seen it translated as Danger Above or Danger in the Sky or Danger in the Air yes yes we're going to talk about them we're going to do our usual talking about things and we definitely haven't already talked about the episodes immediately preceding this or the ma- or the manga. This is totally in between when we had our video game discussion and when we have our manga wrap-up discussion, for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, shtick is fun. So these two episodes are basically filler. Uh, in the, In the manga, they get us to where, like, this is like a couple pages of manga and we're we're padding stuff out. So the episodes are basically Goku uh see I am getting a little bit twist and turned just a smidge. I can't quite remember if these episodes have Goku walking around West City or if I don't think they do. They they really more or less start with him already with that police officer who's helping him out. No, if I remember correctly, they they start with him still in the snow village? No, no. No? Not episode 44. Maybe I'm the one that twisted and turned around. Yeah, episode 44 I think just has him with the police officer already. Because we already talked about... I mean, we didn't already talk about <laughs> him, <laughs> him wandering around West City a little bit and fighting the Bruce Lee lookalike. Oh, yeah, that's right. We did. We did not. <laughs> We, that never happened. What? We will at a later time before uh, we become presumed dead. <laughs> Don't think about the timeline, okay? Otherwise, Zamas will probably show up and try to murder us. So let's right. just let's not think about it too much. Don't go cross-eyed. That's right. So the, the, the police officer is taking Goku to Bulma's house. And they get there, and he's Bulma gets to meet, uh, or Bulma, Goku gets to meet Dr. Brief, or Dr. Briefs, and we'll talk about him more in a bit. You know, he's an eccentric guy, and then Goku's like, hey, is Bulma around? And, and you know, they introduce, they, they get reacquainted with each other. Goku gets to meet Bulma's mom. We'll talk more about her, too, as we get into this. Uh, v- various... Uh, I don't know, theories or whatever about what her actual name is. Uh, it's Bulma's mom, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> is that kind of like Stacy's mom or mate? Oh, Stifler or Stifler's mom or Stifler's mom. Yeah. 
while this is going on, while while Goku's getting reacquainted with Bulma and she's showing off some new tech that she has, which is just like a shortcut to get her to essentially ride on Nimbus with Goku, shrinks her down. Uh, Commander Red is hiring a thief to try and get the Dragon Balls from Goku. Bulma and Yamcha are like having in a tiff because all the girls think Yamcha's so hot. Uh, he's so hot right now. And Yamcha. let's be real, Bulma's a little bit of a handful. Right. And she's a little bit prone to jealousy. So then they go to this like giant amusement park in the sky, which is called Dreamland in West City. Haski tries to steal the Dragon Balls and tries to blow up the amusement park. Goku foils both plans pretty easily and leaves her... The last we ever see of this character is she's like pinned against a wall by much like much like Bulma. I think in was it the first or second episode? I think it was the first episode when yeah. she when she pees. Yeah, yeah, and that's kind of it. Not my favorites for sure. Yeah, no, they they ran a little thin for me, especially because like the shtick for these episodes is pretty similar to the whole thing with Ninja Murasaki. And it was starting to wear thin at this point. Yeah, yeah. So we, we've got a few notes that I, I think we probably forgot to talk about a little bit when when we talked about the, the end of the Muscle Tower stuff. If we didn't, then, I mean, I'm just going to blitz through this. This is sort of a recap of some of the stuff. Like, Toriyama loves his inversions. He's continuing with his inversions here as we continue through the story. And we've already seen that... You know, rather ha- than have his quote-unquote father turn his back on his creation and wind up exiled, as in the novel Frankenstein, or presumably killed, as in the movies, Ader, Toriyama's version of Frankenstein, gets to live a happy, fulfilling life with a wonderful family. Uh, Toriyama is going to, unsurprisingly, flip that script again, but first, let's just talk, touch on a couple little Muscle Tower wrap-up things. I think it's really just one Goku's flying Nimbus. It gets blown up. He fears it's gone forever, but the elder of Sinnoh's village tells him, just call out to it again and it'll come to him. And we learn here that there were once many flying Nimbuses. Nimbi? I I think Hmm. Nimbuses is the correct one, maybe. (laughs) Kintoun (laughs) and many riders of them, but as time marched onward, they've become more and more scarce. And this reflects... A Taoist mentality that as society has progressed and life has become more complicated, human beings are having their minds clouded by these complexities. As a result, our ability to tap into our supernatural abilities has atrophied. The way to return to our natural state of having superpowers is to strip ourselves of society's complications and return to simple things. This is the same thing that happens to Kume Senen, the character who inspired Roshi. He desired a woman while he was flying in the clouds and a family, and he fell to Earth. It's actually the same thing that happens to Master Roshi. His lustful thoughts make him incapable of riding the Nimbus. We see this happen to a lot of characters throughout the show. As they get married or have families or jobs, they lose their edge. Gohan's a really good example of it later on in life. Uh, Krillin ends up becoming a pretty good example of it. These the, they, they take their eyes off the prize, so to speak, and... Mm-hmm lose their their fighting edge the show the good place actually plays on this idea in one of its later seasons as well where it turns out that 
human existence is basically rigged such that any decision you make has a hundred unintended but unmistakably bad or evil or wrong consequences. And no matter how good of a life you lead, you'll always do more harm than good in your existence and wind up in hell or the bad place. I also was thinking about this and I came up with another example. There's uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the adventures of Korra. I am familiar with it, but I don't. In the third season, the villain, uh, Zaheer, who's this uh, evil airbender, is always talking about this Guru Lagima, who's uh, this sort of spiritual leader for airbenders, who talks about uh, you have to shed the physical in order to achieve spiritual uh, enlightenment. During the course of the season, spoilers for anybody who hasn't watched it, the guy's essentially like his girlfriend or fiance is killed in battle. She is his last tether to earthly desires, and once she dies, he is able to actually fly under his own power, which so, kind of goes back to the Kume Senen thing. Yeah, for sure, especially with that being more uh, inspired directly by these sorts of ideas. But yeah, Goku hasn't lost his pure-heartedness, so his, and his Nimbus can't die a nimbus can't be killed he just needs to call out of and it'll come back i think we'll probably talk a little bit more when we get to like our more open discussion about society being just the worst (laughs) (laughs) it's like every day with us that discussion (laughs) but let's let's move on to some more of our our notes that we have here on on these couple of episodes So we spend most of these two episodes and even some of the previous couple that we recently discussed uh, in West City, first major city to appear in Toriyama's Dragon World, and it's a further indication that there's no true analog for this fictional universe he's created. The style is kind of like a mix of Jetsons, Star Wars, and like even Ridley Scott's Blade Runner. Obviously less dreary and lived-in feeling as the latter two. It's definitely a Western city, though, which makes sense because it's West City and you can see that in like a lot of the signage and stuff is actually written in with English words as opposed to like Japanese kanji. Keeping with Toriyama's love of inversions and contradictions and constantly flipping the script, we've always known as viewers that Goku is a bit of an odd duck. He lives a life much different from those of the typical modern person, and we've spent pretty much all the previous parts of this story as outsiders in his world. That was most obvious when Bulma was our audience cipher in the Pilaf saga, but even throughout the Budokai Tenkaichi, We've been living in a very fantastical world. Now that script is flipped. We're in a world that, while fictional, seems much more normal to us. Cars buzz around, there are taxis and policemen, and people who haven't got the time or inclination to just chat with a person. Goku is a fish out of water. He's been plucked from his simplistic world and put into our complicated society where everyone hides their true thoughts behind false faces and societal propriety. Uh, We talked a bit about Some fun facts about his fight with the Bruce Lee lookalike, but the inspiration point, which I don't think we mentioned before, is the infamous three-card Monty games you see in like old-school TV or or movies where a non-city person comes to the city and gets roped into trying to find the ace among the three cards that the the person running the game shuffles around. Further inspiration comes from the the film King Boxer, where Bolo Young fights in street fights for money. Bolo Young goes on to fight Bruce Lee and Enter the Dragon, so Toriyama is once again paying homage to his favorite movies and actors. Perhaps more interesting about Goku's time in West City is that he's ultimately unchanged by it. 
A common trope in fiction is to have a naive or pure character come to a major city and have his first interactions with the ugly reality of the real world, which is something that happens to Goku. People try to swindle him. They try to kick him out of their cabs. They try to rob him. They're rude to him, so on and so forth. And this usually affects the main character in some way. It often corrupts them and makes them lose their naivete or, or uh, in that they either just are no longer so innocent or they become actually part of the system itself. But Goku is unchanged by his exploration of our complicated, corrupt society and remains true to himself. Yeah, just a, one notable example, since this will be our probably our general topic of discussion right for this episode, though, is... It, this could be a possible source of inspiration for Tiriyama. Tiriyama? I don't know who the hell that is. Toriyama. English is hard. <laughs> Though it's maybe a little bit unlikely given his penchant for more kung fu and action fare. Is Akira Kurosawa's film The Idiot. It's about this naive man who's just trying to make his way in life. He's suffering from some sort of maybe like PTSD after the war, World War II. And he, he winds up ensnared in a web of love triangles and jealousy until he winds up, spoiler alert for a movie from 70 years ago, <laughs> uh, hit that. Hit the skip button. You know the one on your on your podcast player that like lets you skip fifteen seconds. Hit that like two or three times if you want to avoid hearing how the idiot ends. Uh, anyway, the main character ends up helping a quote unquote friend cover up a murder, and then he freezes to death. To me, to me, for my my taste, it's actually not one of Kurosawa's strongest films, but it's a pretty classic example of how cities are portrayed as these nasty beasts that swallow up innocence and they destroy kind-hearted people. That doesn't happen to Goku, obviously, but yeah, that's that's a pretty common trope in storytelling and cinema. But this this then sort of brings us to Capsule Corp, uh, the Capsule Corp HQ looks pretty similar to the alien buildings in a movie Gamera versus Guiron because you know we got to get our 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 quota of kaiju references in every episode that we say, record I was about to say has there been an episode we've missed <laughs> It's one of the more insane entries into Daiei's Gamera series where the giant flying fire-breathing turtle already a crazy concept, flies into outer space to rescue two young boys from getting their brains sucked out by twin alien women who are in command of a creature who is essentially a giant meat cleaver capable of also shooting shuriken stars out of his face. Sold. <laughs> the, the film features some of the most bizarre moments in a very bizarre franchise, including... Gamera performing gymnastics on a high bar and Guiron chopping another kaiju up into slices like a butcher and then commenting that the meat is stinky. This movie, Gamera vs. Guiron, is also one of the best Mystery Science Theater 3000 episodes. The reaction of, I believe this is a Mike episode, I'm pretty sure. It might be Joel, though. But their reaction when Gamera is doing, like, literal gymnastics is insane. <laughs> Say less. <laughs> I'm literally going to cue this up and watch it as soon as we're done with this episode. 
One quick note about the cat who clings to Dr. Brief. His name is Tama, which is a common name for a cat in Japan. I guess it's akin to calling a dog in America like Pooch or Poochie. You know, you might just randomly approach a a random dog and go, oh, cute little pooch, you know? Sure. Uh, Tama has a habit of breaking the fourth wall, and he stares at the reader of the manga or the viewer of the anime. The, the Tama name has multiple meanings and inspirations. It can refer to the generic Tama, a la pooch, or the little ball that cats curl up into when they sleep, or their fondness for playing with little balls, Tama, or jewels, and cats being as cute as a gem or a jewel. It could also potentially be a riff on Tamashi, which is the Japanese word for spirit, as cats are noted in a lot of Japanese folklore to have supernatural powers. Does Toriyama actively know any of this? Very likely no. But again, that's everything that goes into why a cat is called Tama in Japan. And this Tama in particular is inspired, or at least his existence is inspired, by Toriyama having taken in a stray cat that was jet black. Adorable. Fun fact, in Japanese, it's not Dr. Briefs, it's Brief. This is a simple and somewhat minor translation error because of the concept in English that underwear come as a pair rather than singular. So, like, we would call a pair of underwear briefs, whereas in Japan they would just say brief. Additionally, brief, or the Japanese brifu, is not meant to be his last name, but rather his given name. He's not intended to have a surname, and Balma's name is in fact not Balma briefs, though that is the extremely common misconception. Uh, this happened because Dr. Briefs is noted as being a doctor, and the American translators uh, gave little thought to Japanese honorifics. They assumed that his designation as a doctor meant it was little. Uh, it was a title preceding his surname, as is the custom in America. But in essence, Dr. Brief is introduced to Japanese audiences similarly to, say, Dr. Phil. Dr. Brief is inspired by the ubiquitous nature of featuring lab-coated scientists in the kaiju films Toriyama grows up watching, a trope that begins with the original Godzilla film where we actually get two different scientists who find themselves in the midst of Godzilla's appearances and rampages. Dr. Yamane wants to study the creature due to its uh, imperviousness to radioactive fallout, and Dr. Serizawa is part of the film's central love triangle and becomes ensnared in the plan to defeat Godzilla using a weapon he's created but vowed never to use due to the implications of in unleashing a new and horrifying WMD on the world and becoming forever associated with death and destruction. Yeah, and Dr. Brief even looks passingly similar to Serizawa, uh, Sans Eyepatch as played by the actor Akihiko Harata, who would go on to be in a lot more kaiju films and Ultraman episodes. Uh, we've mentioned Ultraman before on this show. Have we? Uh, I never noticed. <laughs> in, in a probable source of inspiration, Brief looks a lot like Harata's character Dr. Mafune from the movie Terror of Mechagodzilla, where he's a mad scientist who controls the kaiju Titanosaurus, who battles alongside Mechagodzilla to try to kill Godzilla. This was the final film of the Showa era of Godzilla movies. We've talked about the different eras, Showa, Heisei, and I believe now it's called Reiwa in Japanese cinema. I believe that's uh, this, correct, yes. This was the final film of the Showa era, and it was the last movie where Ishiro Honda was credited as the director. 
in recent years, there's been, to tie this back to an earlier point, in recent years, there's been a, an ongoing discovery that Honda, a longtime friend of Kurosawa, may have had a major hand in co-directing some of Kurosawa's later productions, as Kurosawa was a noted crabass, for lack of a better word, <laughs> who would sometimes march off of a set or refuse to do work if he was displeased with something happening on the set. And this could be something as, as big as like an actor having a different interpretation of a scene than him which would totally set him off or he was known to go into the set dressing to such an extent that if there was like a desk on the set he would open the drawers and if he found something in the drawers or didn't find something in the drawers that he was like expecting to see in there he would freak out and like refuse to work and the set dressers would be like the drawers aren't like, there's no part in this script where anyone's opening a drawer and he'd be like, it has to be perfect. It has to be exactly the way. So it sounds uh, a lot like, um, Kubrick. Actually. Yes. Yes. A lot like Kubrick, a lot like Scorsese, a noted perfectionist and a, and a crab ass, um, definitely skewing more Kubrick. I think Scorsese has probably softened up a little bit in his, in his years. Yeah, so Kurosawa is a very difficult man to work with, and Honda would actually step in in some of these later movies, help direct in order to keep the production running. I'm not... Sh- I, I wish I could remember offhand which movies those were that, that Honda is known to be, like, a huge contributor to. I, I read about this in the book... Oh God! It was it's Ishiro Honda's biography by uh, Ed Gajaszewski and Steve Rifle, and it's called Ishiro Honda: A Life in Film. They talk about I think it's like Rhapsody in August and Dreams might be the two where Honda did like a, a kind of a bulk of the directing work on it. It's almost like they're ghost directed by Ishiro Honda. To get back to Dragon Ball. <laughs> Bulma also shows off some technology in in this part in Capsule Corp that might as well essentially be magic when she shrinks herself. It's likely Toriyama just came up with this on the spot as a storytelling device and a quick trick to get Bulma back into the story, right? She can't fly on the on the Nimbus, so how to get her with Goku without just repeating being on like a bicycle or, or motorcycle or car while Goku's flying alongside, have her shrink down so she could fit in his pocket. Although he doesn't have pockets, I, she just fits in his shirt. I, I do have a pet theory for why he went with this as opposed to just having her ride around in a vehicle. And it's that it would be way easier to just draw Goku on the Nimbus with a tiny little Bulma head than it would to draw the whole vehicle with Bulma in it. <laughs> I mean, that's, I, yeah, let's go with that <laughs> based on what we know about Toriyama, right? Yeah. Uh, it could also be inspired by one of the really best episodes of the original Ultra Q, a show we spoke about way back in one of our earlier episodes. In this episode, one of the main characters, who's the woman of the the team in Ultra Q is shrunk down to one eighth her size and she's placed in a miniature city. I think it winds up being like it was all a dream or something like that. I'm not a hundred percent sure, but it's a really good episode, like with really good effects work for its time. For sure. You might also, 
or not also remember the Jason Siegel movie Downsizing? I do, actually. I was one of the dozens of people who saw it. <laughs> Obviously, that postdates Dragon Ball by several decades. But yeah, similar. The whole idea of downsizing is you could shrink yourself to it's one eighth your size, right? Sure. Yeah, I think so. I think it, it's 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 a miniature version of yourself so that you take up less footprint so that you're having less of an impact on the world economy. Yeah, and, and I believe the trade-off is that because you're so small, it's way cheaper to buy things like food and a, and a home and things like that. So like it allows like middle-class folks to be able to retire and live luxuriously, if I remember correctly. And then it all turns out to be like a scam. Yep. Shocker. I know. It's almost like society is terrible. <laughs> uh, we got a couple other quick hit pop culture notes. Uh, Capsule Corp has a robot made with a white apron, much like Rosie the Robot from the Jetsons. Uh, and we see a bunch of Star Wars influence on the inside with R2 droid units and Imperial shuttles all over the place. Finally, a note on Bulma's mother. She's never named. She's only ever called Bulma's mom, like Stifler's mom. Uh, <laughs> she's the perfect trophy wife beautiful and kind, but with her eyes closed to reality and without a clue or a care in the world. Toriyama never names her, but he says if he did, it would probably be Panchi to play on panties. Uh, so he's just kind of sticking with underwear puns for Bulma's family. Uh, we'll see that in Dragon Ball Z further with Trunks and then in Dragon Ball Super with Bula or Bura or Bra as well. Uh, Panchi is similar to the mother of Akani uh, Kimadori from Dr. Slump. And a relationship with Dr. Brief is – how do I phrase this? It's quite possibly an open relationship. <laughs> she asks Bulma if she can date Yamcha, and Dr. Brief asks Bulma to use her wish on the Dragon Balls for a sexy girl for him. This mortifies Bulma, but hey, maybe Toriyama's just pioneering some ideas about open marriages. Yeah. The guy, the guy who had his wife uh, quit her career when they got <laughs> married. <laughs> <laughs> Seems That's totally just possible. so funny, though, right? Like that he that he would. I mean, I'm sure it's just jokes, obviously. Well, yeah, right? obviously. I, but you know, it, it is definitely something to think about because that, especially for the time frame that it came out in, like that was probably pretty taboo. Right, and it is funny that someone who is, by his own admission, pretty traditional when it comes to his views on marriage, would Absolutely. have two characters who. He never shows them dislike each other at all. He doesn't he doesn't right. go down that trope where, you know, Dr. Brief is like, oh, here she comes again. Yeah, I, I call it uh, boomer humor. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That is 100 percent boomer humor is is. Oh, my wife sucks. <laughs> uh, now, now, granted, we we are millennials and our version of that is my job sucks. <laughs> Or society sucks. And then I have a couple of little quick hit pieces of trivia on Husky or Husky. I don't know if that's if is she supposed to be called Husky? And that's like the joke then is that, you know, Commander Red is like Husky Husky. And then it ends up being this this pretty girl. That's possible. She kind of bears a resemblance to a, a thing we had mentioned about Toriyama when we talked about I can't remember if it was when we talked about him and his career. I think it was when we talked about how he was developing Dragon Ball. 
And he said he didn't like putting women at the center of his stories because he thought all of his women looked the same. Mm-hmm. Haskey looks a lot like Blonde Launch. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she has, like, slightly messier hair. Other than that, she looks a whole lot like Blonde Launch. And and their, their personalities are somewhat similar as well, too. Right. A potential prototype for her is the title character of Toriyama's one-shot Pink, which is also a bandit and rode a flying vehicle similar to to Haskey's flying vehicle that she rides. Um, I'm trying to think if if this is if I have the Akira Toriyama's manga theater thing that just recently was put out by Viz. I think it's like Pink the Rain Hunter. And she is trying to restore Rain after uh, an evil corporation has stolen all of the Rain or has, like, control of all the water or something. It's actually not bad. Uh, It's a pretty fun little one-shot. I almost wonder if if maybe Hosky's uh, a reference to that. It's since, possible. Since these are filler episodes, maybe they were just like, hey, let's let's throw a, a Toriyama reference in there from his early work. Oh, it's called Pink the Rain Jack, by the way. Ah, okay. But yes, it is about, you know, trying to res- f- bring water back to everyone because water has become commoditized, which that is like a Mad Max kind of thing. Um, a bit, yeah. She finds she ends up finding that like a this evil corporation has like a rain god locked up in their basement or something. It's 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 pretty wild. <laughs> it's fun though, and it's you can definitely if you if you check out Viz's uh, collection of Toriyama's one shots that they put out, which is called Akira Toriyama's Manga Theater. They, that's in there, and you could see a lot of the seeds of Dragon Ball in it, you know, with the, the aesthetics and I'm pretty sure she like fall for a guy. I mean, it's like, it's like a pretty Bulma and Yamcha esque sort of relationship. Oh, okay. I can't remember. It's been a bit since I, since I, you know, stuck my nose into that volume. So let's, let's talk a little bit about how much society blows. (laughs) (laughs) Where do we begin? It's it's both. I don't even want to say it's funny. It's funny in a in a in, in like a, the way. If I'm not laughing, I'd be crying kind of way. Yeah, it's funny in like a in an oddity funny way that this this episode is going to come out long after we record it, long long after, and that's not shtick. All right, peek behind the curtain here just for a second. It we're just recording this like months before we're going to put it out. The Wizard of Oz would be devastated. <laughs> it's both funny and it really is just as extremely sad that I can sit here and say the recent tragedy <laughs> and that'll be relevant. And the, the recent, tra- you know, I don't have to specify where it was or what happened, but we could say that the recent tragedy that happened with uh, a violent action here in in. America has kind of bore that the complications of society thing out, right? As as life gets more complicated, we we've become 
it becomes more difficult to adjust to life. And some people end up lashing out. And it's awful. It, it really is. And it's really depressing. You know, I wish I wish there were things that I could do about it. And I, I don't I don't want to get too, too heavy here. But, you know, we try not to shy away from having heavier discussions. If there if if you feel the same way like I do, I mean, feel free to reach out and, I, yeah. and write your congressman and write your senators. And is it definitely going to do anything? Probably not. If you have the means, though, put your money where your mouth is. You can, I'm sure, look up like either charities that will help the victims or my preference uh, on that would be if you really feel like you're trying to advocate for change, look up groups that are fighting for that change and donate to them. And it could be as simple as there's there's protests that happen against violence and against the actions of our leadership all the time in this country all the time look up when one of those is happening locally for you and donate a box of water to them so that when when they're out there marching if you can't be there because you have commitments for work or whatever they have some water to drink there's things you can do to at least try to fight for change but yeah, it, it's really it really becomes a lot of you you hear about these these people who we have failed as a society and their their big problem is that that things have gotten complicated. It, and it is. It's it's we we do it on on the show all the time. We talk about we we gender things sometimes, we misgender things sometimes, and we're trying to do better. But it is, you know, it's a very complicated and difficult situation. And a lot of us are learning all the time. And what makes it more complicated, and I don't want to blame, I don't want to blame people who are trying to do the right thing. But what makes it more complicated is when you step in it a little bit and you get something wrong and then you are just attacked. Yeah, that's never fun. I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a trope in in storytelling not just because it's a trope in storytelling it's because storytelling is meant to reflect the problems of our lives in more obvious ways you know so we get a guy showing up at a city and all of a sudden he's he's murdering people or helping to hide the evidence of murders because it's it's a metaphor for you know as our lives get more complicated, things start spiraling. And I don't know, it's, it's just a very, uh, it, it's a very tragic situation. All of it. It sucks. Society is terrible. We live in a society. <laughs> <laughs> We're members of a society. Yeah. I, I think, I think a lot of, of the, just kind of the, that overall theme of like society has becomes more complicated over time is it boils down to ignorance is bliss when society was simple when people didn't know any better things were simpler but as society progresses as our base of knowledge increases with each generation things are going to become more complicated and we're going to have to compromise on on uh 
you know, what sort of things are acceptable, what things aren't acceptable. I mean, clearly there there are things that happen pretty regularly in this world um, that are just completely unacceptable. But I think it's also a symptom of society making compromises and certain aspects falling through the cracks, whether it be mental health, whether it be gun control, whether it be personal responsibility, whether it be public servants failing in their their duties. And I'm not ascribing blame. I'm not trying to advocate for any particular position to to solve these problems. I'm just stating what I see. And right. I see people making compromises on things that they don't think are are going to cascade into these these weird situations where where uh, folks aren't getting the help they need and they feel the need to lash out. And it's it's sad because at the same time, our, our leadership doesn't want to work to fix any of these issues. And, and I get that governing is is tough. I understand that. But. At the same time, if you're you're in a position of power and you're not doing things to to at least try to alleviate some of these issues, I, I think that's a pretty major failing and, and that's a pretty good argument for society sucks. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I I completely agree. And yes, I, I, w- I will say I think we're trying to be very careful not to advocate for anything or call anything out specifically. Right. It's just looking around and seeing there's common threads that happen in these things all the time. The sort of linking thing to that that I see is people who are very frustrated and angry that things are not simple. Yeah. And that's why we get kurosawa movies where a guy who lives a very simple life uh, gets introduced to society and ends up covering a murder and then dying himself and that's why we get you know that's why we get a, a character like batman who is all kinds of layers of complicated in him in trying to rehabilitate the society of the city that he lives in you know and, and he is in himself a victim of a violent act from someone who was lashing out because they were not getting the support that they needed right so it's this this stuff springs out of real world situations it becomes real or, or it becomes it becomes like a real like a hard hitting thing in your fiction and it's funny that that i i really like you know the more you think about it the more you break it down i really like that toriyama excuse that right he ha- he brings his and goku is still this way in super and people to an extent think he's more naive and and stupid and everything but i really like that we have stuck with this idea that here's this guy this this character who even as he has interacted with more and more complex situations and more and more evil people it hasn't changed who he is and it hasn't it hasn't corrupted him he is still 
a pure force for good. Yeah. I really like that. And the older I get, the more I like that, right? Because the older the older you get, the more you realize that it functions that way on on me too. The the complications of our world really wear me down and I have become exceedingly cynical in my older years. It just happens. And it it's it's sad. It's <laughs> I'm going to date myself real bad with this one. Everyone who's like under 30 is going to be like, what the fuck? Uh, the, <laughs> the movie, the breakfast club. Oh, when, yes. when Allie Sheedy like breaks down because she's like, as you get older, your heart just dies. It, it does. The, the more you interact with everyone else, <laughs> the more you become kind of jaded and cynical. <laughs> and for me, I, I, I appreciate the fact that Goku is not corrupted because I think – and as much as we try to say that Toriyama doesn't have like a, a message in his work, whether intentional or unintentional, it's a pretty optimistic message of we know the world sucks. We just have to do our best to not let it get us down as best we can because if we start being pessimistic and we start giving up, nothing's going to get better. Yeah, I, I really like that. I, I it's It's why – as a as an adult, I've gravitated more towards being. Uh, I I don't I don't read Superman comics, but I've become more int- like I am closer to picking up a bunch of Superman comics now than I have ever been in my entire life. And I've read some Wonder Woman with my with with my daughter, and I oh, I love that character. I love this character. That it's tough because I've read some Wonder Woman with my daughter, and I'm sitting there reading it, and even the stuff that's not outright inappropriate for her we read one and it had a character talk about how like her sister was drugged and raped and murdered and i was like oh, 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 oh. let's breeze through that past that for the eight-year-old you know yeah <laughs> um, but even the stuff that's not out and out directly inappropriate is a very like reflection of the complications of reality where there's like this one story in wonder woman uh, i believe it's written by greg rucka if i want to give the correct uh, credit to the to the author where she has just put out a book of her essays and everything and some people are supporting her and some people are attacking her and you've got the the you know what you would think of as like the hard right christian religious bible thumping guy who's coming after her really hard and then there's a third group that's like even manipulating that group to make them look like they're coming after her even harder so that then when they when they kill this this like this far right leaning guy they can make it look like wonder woman's people did it and it's all of this really complicated stuff Mm -hmm. and then you bring in wonder woman and she just like cuts through the crap and i love that i love characters like that you know these characters that as everything gets really swirly and complicated and everyone starts arguing around them, they come in and they take charge and just cut right to the heart of the matter. And in his way, I think Goku does that as well. I, I mean, I, I see that as, as an extension of the, the hero's journey, really. Because, I mean, every, every superhero has moments like that. Goku has moments like that. A, a lot of protagonists in fiction there there seems to be this desire for people to be able to like you said just cut through the crap 
because life is so complicated, they want that simple solution to just fix all the problems and, and not have to worry about it anymore. Right. What I what I like about the Wonder Woman comics is she admits like it's not simple, it'll be painful, da 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 da, da right? But Right, yeah. But but there's just something about her presence that cuts through the the noise, right? And it's and yeah, it's, it's probably that same incorruptibility that, that we see uh in Goku in these episodes. Right. And yeah, I mean, you're a fiction author, you can write things that way, but it's also very it's very easy to have your character do the opposite and just become browbeaten, you know? I mean, cuz people praise stuff like that all the time. I mean, Dragon Ball fans praise Vegeta all the time. And I love Vegeta. I love that character, but his whole deal is that he was so corrupted by his upbringing that he, you know, wound up being evil for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, that's, that's Toriyama shows us time and again that Goku would not be that person, right? That, that even surrounded by all of the complications of society and all of the, the the nastiness of people he would still stay true to himself and that is yeah it's fiction but it's inspirational not just inspirational for readers either because i mean like vegeta is a perfect example but how many other characters have we encountered up to this point who once they meet this person who is uh whose soul is incorruptible that it actually changes them for the better as well right Right, and I I like making Goku that just what like the 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 last man standing the the fixed the fixed point. Sure. There you go. That's that's the word I was looking for. That's that's a line from uh, from Pacific Rim. That's one of my favorite movies. <laughs> I'm sensing a, I'm sensing a theme with the type of movies you like. <laughs> But so I don't know. Hopefully we didn't get too preachy, and hopefully people didn't think that was trite. I tried to. I, again, we're recording this. It, it's not going to come out for months and months, so I don't want to talk about any specifics because then people are going to be like, "Jesus, that was so long ago." We've had fifty-five shootings since then. Yeah, and fifty-five is probably lowballing it, honestly. <laughs> Oh I damn mean, it! There's I just depressed a, a, myself. <laughs> any it could be it could be any week of the year, and you'll find some kind of tragedy that yeah, is so. that is a man-made in some way. But so hope yeah, hopefully everyone didn't think that was trite. But I, I wanted to I wanted to talk about it because I do think it's funny because it's not he he doesn't do it for very long. Toriyama he doesn't in this part of the story, but he does ultimately you know have Goku interact more and more with society and more and more with people. And I mean, he ends up free, you know, he ends up coming face to face with Frieza. Hail Frieza. <laughs> <laughs> why, uh, why, why would he fight Frieza? Frieza is a force for good in the universe. Well, he, you know, he ends up, he ends up coming face to face with these, these characters who are incorruptible the other way, right? These characters who refuse to be redeemed sell, and Majin Buu, who who is just like distilled he's, evil, he's kinda. literally evil incarnate. Yeah, and and Goku, even in the face of that, doesn't ever, you know, 
give up hope that those people can be saved. Unlike me with a lot of our leadership in the world today. <laughs> well, it's it's a big, dare I say, complicated issue. I don't know. That was that was some of my thoughts on just how this just quick bit of Goku hanging out. But again, he he ends up hanging out. I mean, he ends up hanging out with Bulma a lot down the line, especially as we get into into Super. He's you know often as as the story gets more sci-fi he ends up hanging out with with cities more but he still remains a simple naive hick i mean he's he's rubbing elbows with gods <laughs> and and he's still himself <laughs> yeah and that's how it's done you know, I can't help but think that conversation might have made more sense to me if you and I had previously discussed any of the things leading up to it instead of just randomly hopping ahead a tiny little bit and missing out on some context. But for our listeners, it will all make perfect sense. Why are we doing this again? Well, mostly because it's fun. For who? But also, in case we do both die, and all that survives are our scouters... Then, there will be some content and episodes for our listeners to enjoy while they search for our corpses or seek out new hosts. How many more episodes are we going to do in the time it takes us to cross the battlefield? Probably three. One where we're doing mop-up duty, a filler episode, and a grand finale. A grand finale? Yeah, like, we won't discuss any Dragon Ball stuff. We'll just have a big-scale final adventure. Final as in... The last one? Ever? Yeah. At least until season two. Season two? And many more to come after that, too. Oh, somebody please save me. Will anybody save Bikini? Will we do three more episodes before the end of our first season? Will I ever grow tired of this meta commentary and learn how to script something that's actually clever? Find out next time and help us achieve our final forum. is written and produced by Tom Gwelly. It is performed by Dan Kinney and Tom Gwelly. Our webmaster is Dan Kinney. Our theme music is provided by YouTube content creator GVG Kit. Want to learn more about the Dragon Ball universe, including concept art, behind-the-scenes interviews, and recommendations from Jelly and Bikini? Connect with us on social media. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Final Forum Pod. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you receive your podcasts. And of course, make sure to share with your friends and family and help us spread the word of the glory of Lord Frieza. The Frieza Force thanks you for your listenership. 